praise his name.
you're excited to be here, say amen. That was nice. That was good. I could hear you that time. Good job. Now, I know you know this song. We've sung it plenty of times, so I want to sing it, hear you sing it loud, loud and clear. Here we go. My name is Sean Striplow, and I want to thank you for being with us this morning at our 11 a.m. service. Thank you for remembering to turn your clocks forward to be here this morning. Uh, please, as a reminder, please grab those friendship folders at the end of the aisles. Grab those, fill those, fill those out so we can have up-to-date information on you, and uh, just keep track of, of who's here this morning. Um, a few reminders as uh, we're moving out of the winter and springing forward into the, uh, the warmth, finally. Uh, we have our... Uh, Crossroads Worship Choir that's uh, practice uh, this Sunday and uh, we're uh, having our practices every Sunday. It's going to be at 4.30 so just a reminder to uh, be here for that if you've joined the choir. If you haven't joined up or considered joining, we can always use some more people. 
uh, can always use some more joyful noises. So please come be a part of that if you're so interested, and uh, we'll get you a CD and we'll get you started right away. Uh, we have on Wednesdays, we have our Adult Bible Fellowships. That's our Men's and Women's Adult Bible Fellowships. If you haven't checked those out, please come check them out at 6.30 here at the church. And then at our Straight Street building, we have our Connect students. We have our uh, middle school at 6 o'clock and our high school at 7.30. That's for junior high, senior high. We have a lot of exciting things going on. In fact, we have a big event going on. It's March Madness. That's our all-nighter event. Our all-nighter event is... Um, it's, uh, we're going to start here at the church, and then we're going to go to Red Robin, and we're going to go bowling, we're going to do uh, the Isoplex, a whole bunch of exciting things. It's $35. If you need in more information, please see Caleb York, and he'll get you some information on that. And then Thursday nights, we have our FX. Uh, FX is our family experience, and that's for uh, kids and for their families to, as well. And uh, we have our uh, derby coming up. Now, this year, they're doing the Lego Derby. So if you haven't picked up your kits for the Lego Derby, they'll be downstairs. You can still pick those up. They'll be working on those next week. And then the Derby's going to be the week following. So just a, a couple more uh, days to get that all figured out. So uh, please pick up your kits soon. Um, then we also have our Marriage 101. If you haven't been able to attend one of the information meetings, you can still talk to Mike Baines. He's the one leading that class. If you're still interested in signing up and joining that class, uh, go see Mike Baines and he'll get you uh, straightened out for that. That's starting on Sunday, March 15th. Also, <coughs> excuse me, we have our Easter extravaganza. Now, Jenny Hoffman is not here this morning because she's away, like so many of our ladies this morning, at the uh, women's retreat. Uh, but uh, uh, you can still sign up for that. I believe the sign-up sheet is back there. If you want to sign up as a volunteer or they have the cake walk there where you can sign up to bake a cake or buy a cake or however you get a cake, ask your mom to make a cake or a pie um, or they make cupcakes, however you want to do that. But they give away. We see families walking away with like 50 cakes. So please, um, please get involved in that. We're also accepting donations for candy as well. So um, they, uh, they have a bucket out there for that, I believe. So uh, please get involved. If you want to sign up as a volunteer, we can always use volunteers. We get hundreds of kids up here, and we have thousands of Easter eggs. So please invite kids from the community as well. Also, uh, coming up, we have our Good Friday service. That's what our choir is getting ramped up for. It's a uh, Good Friday night of worship. We're going to come together as a church family, and we're going to have a night of worship together just recognizing what God has done for us. And we also have a new class that Alphine is starting, and uh, that's going to be starting, it's called Starting Point, and we're going to have a little video just talking a little bit about what that is going to be about. Let's be honest, conversations about faith are usually off limits. It's gotten to the point where the church can be the last place you would think to have a conversation about God. We want to change that. Starting Point is a place where no questions or discussions are off limits. It's not about a teacher giving you information. It's about a conversation. It's about being with other people, like you. And we really mean that. You're free to ask any question you want. This is your opportunity to explore faith freely. It's not another place where people will talk at you. We want to talk with you. So are you curious about God, Jesus, the Bible, or Christianity? Or did you recently begin a relationship with Jesus? Or have you returned to church after some time away? Starting Point is for you. Every Starting Point group is guided by qualified leaders, but your voice matters to the group. Your thoughts add value. You may even ask the question that someone else is afraid to ask. Starting Point, where your questions about God turn into a conversation about faith. Well, it's so good to see everybody today. I, 
I was amazed last last evening our Saturday night service it was like people finally came to church after about three weeks uh, we've been knocked out by the weather and it was so exciting just to see people come in and they were up and they were just happy to be back in church and I even saw a few people this morning uh, who haven't been here in a while and and uh, they're happy to be here too uh, just uh, just a further few thoughts uh, our ladies are away this morning. They'll be coming back this afternoon, or many of them, uh, on the ladies' retreat. Let's think of them as they travel back. Uh, Easter is right around the corner, and uh, every Easter we talk about turning the price of betrayal into an offering of love, 30 pieces of silver. And uh, I want to plant this seed in your mind for that. Every year we take the funds that come in at that particular offering to do something special around the facilities of our church. We've been rebuilding our church for quite a while now. When you have a building and buildings plural, this old, uh, you know, they need tons of repair and rebuilding. Uh, this year, we want to uh, head out on a journey, and that journey is to do something with our ever-disappearing parking lot here at our church. The last few years, you've driven up and you say, hey, this looks like... Uh, it's just getting worse and worse. Well, that's what happens. Uh, and we've been pretty fortunate uh, through the years to have a good solid base under our parking lot, but we have to deal with it now. And so we're going to start a journey. We're going to take the funds that come in on Easter Sunday as kind of like the, uh, just, the, just the beginning of the offering. It's, it'll take a lot of money to, to pave this parking lot. Uh, I, I know that the Lord can provide it for us because... God's just used you to give $85,000 for missions over a 12-week period. Uh, this will cost probably twice that much or maybe even more. And so uh, this will be a good prayer project for all of us. We'll just have to pray that the Lord will send it in. One of the most important assets of any church today is its parking lot. We have to have parking room. And so we not only want to resurface our existing lot we want to add a few spots out there at the end uh, to make it less congested on many of the services that we have and so i'm just planting this seed in your mind let's pray about it together and see what god will do because i know that i don't have to convince you that we have this need do i you're already convinced of that let's stand together as we receive our morning offering together at this time uh, we were blessed to have Dale Varega with us in our first service. Uh, Dale is such an inspiration. Uh, there's a revival going on as a result of Dale's illness. Uh, they're having prayer meetings down at Mon Valley Hospital now. Uh, the believers and unbelievers are coming together to pray for Dale. And it's really neat. God's using his illness uh, to promote the Word of God. And uh, I know that you were excited. Many of you saw him this morning. This was his first time back after about five weeks of being away. So I know you're thinking about him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for taking care of us, for watching over us. We thank you for Dale and his family that were here back in the church this morning. Uh, he's such an inspiration to all of us, Lord. And we thank you for what you're doing in his life and, and through his health. We uh, pray for continual healing as Dale is going through his, uh, his chemo and his radiation. 
We pray now that, that you will help us uh, to give cheerfully to your work. We, we know that you own the cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mine. And so I pray that you'll use us, Lord, as a vehicle uh, to give for your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
stand with us one last time. exciting place to be, to come and worship with God's family. Thank you, Dan. You have your Bibles, if you'd turn to Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to begin there in just a few moments. We're starting our new series, Journey to the Cross. And uh, as we 
begin thinking about the cross, I want to remind you that you know, as you look around today, all religions out there have, have some sort of symbol that they look to. For example, if you were to look at, uh, at the Buddhist, they have a flower. Uh, if you were to look at Judaism, okay, ancient Judaism tried to stay away from symbols. They didn't want to have a symbol. And today they have the Star of David as we know it. And, uh, and for Christianity, in the early days of Christianity, uh, it wasn't the cross because the cross actually is a symbol of this Roman execution. It's a symbol of the common criminal's death. But uh, the early days of Christianity, it was the symbol of the fish. And if you look at that, you know, I, I remember looking at that, and I've seen that symbol throughout the years, and I say, well, why is, it, why is Christianity the symbol of the fish? Where did that come from? And I thought, well, it must be the fishers of men, right? And that's where that came from. And actually what it was, it was the Greek acrostic that we're going to put up here. Uh, it was from a Greek word. And as, as you took the, the acrostic of that Greek word, it was Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. So when that, whenever, those, that whenever the early Christians would draw that fish, they would recognize the acrostic. And, uh, of course, today when we look at fish, we don't think that. But that's what it was intended for uh, in the early days. Today, our symbol is the cross because our, the cross is where our price was paid. The cross has changed everything. The cross is the center of Christianity. It's the center of our message here at the church. It's the center of our life when we're walking with Him. And so today, let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. So the author of Hebrews begins, and he, he starts out this chapter. He's telling us, that, hey, listen, the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law served a purpose, and the, 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 the concept of going and making the sacrifice, they had to shed blood. There was a shedding of these animals' blood, and he says right there, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. He said that the law was important. The law pointed out sin. The, uh, the law showed us our sin, but it could not take away our sin. The blood of the lambs, the blood of the goats, the, that blood could not change our sin, could not forgive our sin. As a matter of fact, they had to come back every year for another sacrifice. And it brought up their guiltness, and it, it brought it to the forefront, brought to the topic that, hey, you have a sin issue. Now those people, they were forgiven because they followed, Christ, followed what God had told them to do. And God was saying this was a foreshadow of what is going to happen on the cross when the Lamb of God would come and take away the sin of the world. Another rendering of that passage here, we'll put it on the screen, says the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things that, uh, to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time. 
and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sin year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So here we are. We, we see the author of Hebrews is setting up Jesus, and he's saying, look, Jesus' sacrifice is much higher than, the, than what you did in the, in the old days, underneath the law. What happened with those, with those animals? Here, we are looking at the sacrifice of Jesus. and continues on in verse 5, all right? Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. And so he begins here, and he lets us know, and he's quoting from Psalm 46. He's a trib from Psalm chapter 40, verse 6, and he's attributing to Jesus the words of the psalmist. And, it, and look what he tells us here. The first thought in your notes this morning is this, that the journey to the cross originated in eternity past. Hebrews 10, verse 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, and so the author here is telling us, he's giving us a little, little insight. He's saying, when Jesus came into the world, in other words, he existed before he came into the world. When he came into the world, um, Jesus is the preexistent God. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. He always has existed and he always will. And so when we think of this this morning, when does the be remembering that Jesus is the one who came from eternity and he stepped out of eternity into our world so that he could pay my sin debt he could pay your sin debt John brings this out real clear John chapter 1 he says this in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. In the beginning was the word. This is term, it's, uh, uh, the term word here is, is, means logos. It's, it's uh, to, the, to the Hebrews, they understood. They would look in the Old Testament, and they would see that, okay, in Psalm 33, 6, the Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. So they understood this, that he was equating the word, logos, to this origin of life, to the origin. This is where God had the power with word. Uh, to the Greeks and philosophy, it was the concept of universal divine reason. So, again, it was the sense, even for the Greeks, they would hear that word logos, they would hear that term, the word, and they would say, ooh, I better pay attention, this is, this, is, this is high, this is big. And so John's description here shows that he's speaking of Jesus because he, he continues on here, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. So Jesus was there at the beginning. And he attributes creation, that he was there at creation. And if, if you go further on down in that chapter, chapter, chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten 
of the Father, full of grace and truth. So John tells us here that this God who preexisted came down into earth and he became fully God and fully man. 100% God, 100% man. And so as, they, as, as, the, as the Jews would hear this, to the Jews that was unacceptable. They would call that blasphemy. And to the Greeks, they, they would think that that was unthinkable. But John makes a clear identity of who Jesus is. This is the pre-existent Christ. He was present at creation. And so here, this, this journey to the cross didn't begin on Palm Sunday. It didn't begin at the Lord's Supper. It didn't even begin at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And it didn't even begin at the manger. It began in eternity past. For God always existed. And when, when Jesus was there at creation, he knew what he had to do in the future. John 17, 5. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So before the world was, Jesus was. The journey from the cross came from eternity past. And the journey to the cross was also triggered by the Garden of Eden. As we just looked at those pass at the passage here in Hebrews chapter 10, we find that the, the reason for the blood, of the, uh, the, the blood of the sacrifice was, it was a, a foreshadow of what was to come. Christ was coming, but the reason for it was because of our sin. Now, if we go back to, to the Garden of Eden, if you were to flip over and go over to Genesis chapter 3, uh, you would find out, you'd see all that took place in Genesis 2 and 3 when, you know, God had the perfect place for Adam and Eve. He made this place that was just beautiful, and he made a place that was lush and plush, and they enjoyed everything, and they had everything that they wanted. And God comes to him over in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. He says, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So he's given them everything. He says, this one tree, don't eat of it, or you will die. So what happens? They're enjoying life. They're enjoying life together. They have it made. And along comes Satan in the form of a serpent. And he comes to the, to the first couple there. And he says to them, he says, you know, did God really say this? And he begins to tempt them. But in the end, Adam and Eve make a decision to, to disobey God. You've heard that statement, haven't you? Uh, the devil made me do that. Have you ever heard that? I don't know, maybe you've used that a couple times yourself. The devil made me do that. Uh, the devil can't make you do that. You made the decision to do that. Uh, I may be tempted by the devil to do it, but the, the devil didn't make me do it. I made the decision to do whatever it was. And this is the same is true with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve made a decision to willfully disobey God. And so they willfully turned their back on God, thinking that they know more, that they have better reasoning, whatever, than God did at that moment. And yet, God said, when you do this, you will surely die. But in Genesis 3.15, we see the first gospel, the very first gospel. This is known as the first gospel. And I will put enmity, verse 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Um, another rendering of that verse says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. 
the offspring of the woman. Jesus was going to leave heaven and come to be a man. 100% God, 100% man. And he says here that that offspring will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The imagery is the snake. Remember, Satan was in the form of a serpent there. And the imagery is the snake on the ground and he's going to walk and snap, stand on that snake and crush his head. But yet there will be a bite to the hill. I'll never forget when we were in Ecuador in the jungle, they told us, don't walk through the grassy area unless you have boots on. And uh, we were, at least I was, I was rather afraid because I didn't have boots. And uh, the last thing I wanted to do was to get bit in the jungle by a venomous snake and not be able to get out of there and get any help. Uh, they even found a snake and they, they had pierced it and put it on a, on a pulse for everybody to see. But that, that, was, uh, that was the reality. If you walk on a snake, it's going to strike you. And this is what the analogy here, he's saying, listen, the Son of Man, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to crush your head, but you will strike his head. And so this is the first gospel that we can see pointed out, that God, even with the newness of sin, sin had just happened, and God didn't waste any time to tell us that he was going to make a way. He wasn't going to waste any time so that we could find out that, yes, there is a way coming. He told him right from the beginning, yes, you deserve death. And yes, today we die. We will all face death. Our bodies will all die one day. Uh, but God provided a way so that spiritually we don't have to take death. He, he sent Jesus. God the Son comes and takes on death spiritually for us so that we, he can now, so that we, he died on that cross now that we can live spiritually with him. Number three, Jesus fulfills the promise of the Old Testament. Not only did Jesus come uh, from eternity past, not only did he tell us at the beginning at the garden, but all throughout the Old Testament, he keeps giving us little glimpses. He keeps giving us little pictures of who the Messiah would be. Little snapshots. Um, I want you to think with me today about the, the, the Old Testament. When you're reading the Old Testament, it's really a journey. And it's a journey with a destination. If I were to go on a journey today, you have a destination that tells you where you're going. Well, that's and when you're reading through the Old Testament, it's like jumping on a train and you're heading to Florida on the train. And as you look out the window, you know that you're going to Florida, but uh, when you, start, you, know, you just get out of Pennsylvania and start cutting through Maryland and all these states, you look out the window and you say, is that Florida? No, it's Maryland. And as you get closer and closer, you get into the Carolinas, you'll notice, wow, there's a little bit more color on the trees, a little bit more signs of life. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. And that's what the Old Testament was like. The Old Testament gave us many snapshots of Jesus, but it was a journey, and, and there's a lot of scenery. And as you go through, you, you read the scenery, and it's fascinating. But all throughout that scenery, God keeps giving us little gentle reminders of what the Messiah would be like, that he is going to send the Messiah and what he'll look like. Um, just, just for example here, the promises that were fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled the promise. The promise was that he would make a way, that the Messiah would come. And look how Jesus fulfilled these promises. Um, we're going to look at a few of them from, from Isaiah chapter 7 here, uh, verse 14. This was written in 700 B.C. 700 years before Jesus arrives on the scene, Look at what is written. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child 
and will give him and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And then when Jesus shows up on the scene 700 years later, Matthew 1:18. Now, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. I go over back to Isaiah 53:3. He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. 700 years later, look how Jesus fulfilled it. Then the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. Isaiah 53:4 in 700 BC nearly he took up our surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows yet we considered him stricken by God smitten by him and afflicted Matthew 8:17 Jesus arrives this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases as a matter of fact, if you want to have some fun, go home and take the book of Matthew, and you'll look through the book of Matthew, and you'll see over and over the, fra the, the phrasing of this matter. Uh, this was done to fulfill what the prophet said. This was done to fulfill, to be fulfilling of what the Old Testament says. Over and over, it's just the, the Old Testament is filled with prophecies that have come true in Jesus, and Matthew brings many of them to light so that we can see how the Jesus uh, fulfilled the, the promise. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. John 19:34. 700 years later, instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Look at what Jesus did in Matthew 27. When he was accused by the chief priest and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply not even to a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. So for this reason, we see that Jesus was the fulfillment. He was the promise. The promise had been given, and Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise. And the next thought here this morning is that Jesus was not a victim. He gave his life. You see, this plan developed in eternity past, triggered at the garden, all throughout the Old Testament, all through, as God's dealing with his people, he is making a way for us to have eternal life. And it comes down to the cross. And so when you look at the, th the events of the cross, I want you to remember that he was not a victim. He gave his life. And think about your life this morning. How that you have your life and you come before him and we have this great ability to receive eternal life. It was because he gave his life. Matthew 20, 28 says this, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve 
and to give his life a ransom for many. The Son of Man did not come to serve, uh, to be served, but to serve and to give. The word ransom is, comes from the idea of meaning to loose. Okay? And, 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 and we're loosening a slave is what you're doing. A ransom was the price that was paid to release a slave from bondage. He was purchasing you, he was purchasing me out of bondage, out of the slave market. We were once a slave to sin, and now God says, I've come, and I'm going to purchase that slave. I'm going to purchase you back. And the price was the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 5, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And this was the body that he was giving on that cross. The perfect Son of God, fully God, fully man, the only one who could have paid the price, had to come. And God himself steps down from heaven, comes and dies on a tree for you and me. I was reading about one apologist. He said, he was talking to a follower of Muhammad. And he said, they were talking. They said, what is the difference between those who follow Muhammad, the religion of that, and also the religion of Christianity? He said, the difference between the God of Muhammad and the God of Christianity is the difference is this, that the followers of Muhammad would say that he was concerned with holiness, right living, and justice. The God of Christianity is also concerned with holiness, right living, and justice. The difference is the God of Christianity willingly stepped down from heaven and became a man himself so that he could make the transaction on the cross. And that is really the difference. You see, when, when Jesus came and died on the cross, he gave a holy life. And there is a trade that took place. When he died on the cross, he gave his holy, life, his holy life, and what did we give to him? Our sin, our rottenness, our shame, our guilt. And he takes it. And look at that exchange. My guilt, my sin, my, my shortcomings for God's holiness. That a God would leave eternity and come into time and take my rottenness and give me his holiness. That is an incredible trade. You know, when you watch the movie, The Passion of the Christ, I remember going to watch that in a theater, and, you, and we were all just overwhelmed by the imagery that we saw in that movie. And then at the end, you would hear people silent, some even sobbing. But as they walked away from there, what they could not see in that movie is what could not be filmed. It was the transaction. The transaction of God giving you His holiness in exchange for your shortcoming, for all your sin. That is why Jesus came. John 10, 17, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Jesus didn't say, you know, I'm going to come and they're going to take my life. The scriptures don't come and tell us that somebody took his life. He was not a victim. He gave his life as a ransom for our souls. The journey to the cross was a planned rescue for your soul. It was a planned rescue. There was nothing circumstantial about it. There was nothing that just kind of happened. God had a plan. And at that moment when he came, that plan was unfolded. 
And God, the Son of God, paid for our sins. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. This was the mission of Christ. That's why he came. The cross was the whole reason. And it completed everything. I like what John Stott says here. John Stott was the English theologian and an author. He says this, The value of a love gift is assessed by, both by what it costs the giver and by the degree to which the recipient may be held to deserve it. A young man who is in love, for example, will give his beloved expensive presents, often beyond what he can afford, as symbols of self-giving love. But he believes she deserves them and more. Jacob served seven years for Rachel because of his love for her. But God, in giving his son, gave himself to die for his enemies. He gave everything for those who deserve nothing from him. And that is God's own proof of his love toward us. This is the gospel. This is the good news that Christ died for our sin, that he came so that you may have eternal life, that you may have the holiness of God. When God looks upon us, if you've opened your heart and accepted his gift, he sees the righteousness of Christ, the holiness of Christ. And that is given to me. I am so unworthy. You are so unworthy. But that is the gift. That is the gift of eternal life. Because I put me on a cross and it wouldn't pay for the sin. I'm not eligible to pay for it because I have sinned. God says, step aside. I'm taking it. I love you that much that I have had a plan and I have developed this plan. I've unfolded the plan. I followed through on my promises. I kept my word and I came and I died and I paid for your sin. And our response. It's all now to our response. You know, what, what other, other religions have to say, what you have to do. Well, Jesus said it's already been done. You don't have to do. You have to accept the fact that it was done. Open your heart and accept the sacrifice that has been done for you. Romans 10, verses 9 through 10 say this, that if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It, was, it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. This is how it happens. We open our heart. We accept the gift that Jesus died and rose again. Yes, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Will you respond to the cross this morning? Maybe you've been walking. You say, I've accepted that many years ago, but maybe the cross hasn't been the center of your life. Maybe you've been consumed with trying to do this on your own. It's amazing to me how from time to time that we will get excited about the cross and then we kind of forget about it. Jesus said, you can't forget about it. It's the center. It is the center. Everything revolves around it. My righteousness is this filthy rag. And so as I go out and I try to live on my own and try to do this on my own in my own selfish, my own self-righteousness, self-righteousness isn't going to be any good. I have to come back to the cross. Come back to the cross. 
So I ask you this morning, will you respond to the cross? As we begin our journey to the cross this Easter season, what is your journey to the cross? Are you, are you, are you bringing it to the forefront? Are you you're bringing it back to the number one position that this price was paid? We're going to have this big celebration on Easter. It's going to be exciting because not only did Jesus die on the cross, he rose from the dead. And that's the power and impact of our message. But it is incredible, the price that was paid for your sin. Let's bow in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I'd just like to invite you to respond to the message of Jesus. you haven't opened your heart yet and accepted that free gift of eternal life you can do that right here where you're seated it's just very simple you call on him just whisper a prayer like this to the lord this morning dear god i'm a sinner i know i've done wrong things i've offended the holiness of god but jesus you died on the cross for my sin You came back to life again for me. And I trust you. I take the trade today, Lord. I give you my sorrow. I give you my shame. I give you my my shortcomings in exchange for your holiness that you gave me at that cross. For others in the room, maybe cross hasn't been the center of life. Maybe you've been frustrated with your own life. Maybe you're trying to do this on your own again. Trying to live according to self-righteousness. Trying to make it happen on your own. You need the power of the cross to do this. Father God, I pray that you'll be with each person as they make decisions this morning. As they respond, Lord, we can't come to the, to the power of the cross. We cannot come and just walk away from your gift. Lord, we're compelled to action this morning. We're compelled to go out and to live for you. We're compelled to, to accept you, Lord. God, I ask that you will move mightily in our church as we focus in on your cross, on what you have done for us. In your name we pray. Stand together as we close our service.